This is a mental health podcast, so difficult topics may arise. Please proceed with caution. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Getting Better, Stories of Mental Health. I'm Micheline Malouf. And I'm Nadia Desi, and we're your hosts and licensed therapists here to destigmatize mental health one episode at a time. In each episode, we dive into our guests' special experiences with mental health, coping mechanisms, and how they have embraced their own mental health journey. Today, we're speaking with Cynthia Germanotta. You might know her daughter, Lady Gaga. She is also the founder of the Born This Way Foundation. On today's episode, we're going to be talking to her about parenting a child or a teenager with mental health struggles and how the foundation Born This Way came to be. Cynthia, how are you doing today? Well, hello. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. And also, thank you for asking that question. I'm doing well. Um, I have to say that I'm emerging with caution like everyone else uh, during these, what has been very anxious times for all of us. And I'm actually in our office today for the first time in a long time, which is very exciting. And and I'm, I'm just so looking forward to speaking with both of you. Thank you for having me. Of course. We're so excited to speak to you as well. We know that mental health is something near and dear to you. We are wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about the Born This Way Foundation and how it came to be. Absolutely. It's one of my favorite things to talk about, even though it's a bittersweet story. Uh, The inspiration is very personal. It's from a personal experience, that of my daughter, who I would say because of her unique qualities experienced a lot of bullying and very mean-spirited behavior starting mostly in, in middle school. And over time, it's something that very deeply affected her mental health. It's also something that continued through college. You know, it was uh, when she started college, I would say it was the beginning of Facebook. And there were a lot of challenging things for her that were written about her there. So uh, the situation became even more complex and more complicated. And um, in her case, though, I have to say, I'm, I'm very proud of her that when her career took off, she made this a positive. She took what was a very unfortunate situation and turned it into an even deeper passion for helping young people. And she envisioned a world with a kinder culture uh, where young people were brave, where they had resources to help themselves, where they felt better equipped than she did to deal with their struggles. And at the core of that was their mental health. Uh, But the birth of it really came about when she started touring and performing, and she and I would talk to young people all around the world, and they really shared similar stories with us, stories that were not unlike hers, stories that so many other young people share and face. And we just started to realize the enormity of this issue, you know, the enormity of so many young people feeling that they weren't accepted for who they were, that they were not in kind cultures. That is the foundation that we developed, but it was, it was um, a movement before it was the foundation because it's something that developed out of this really just beautiful and organic relationship that she had with her fans. And so every day now, we empower and inspire young people to build this kinder and braver world. And we do that by focusing on three wonderful but lofty goals. The first is making kindness cool, which sounds easy, but it's it's not. It's challenging. Uh, we focus on um, eliminating the stigma around mental health 
and also validating the emotions of young people around the world. And we're just, I feel very privileged and grateful to work with young people every day and also do that alongside my daughter. That is amazing and, and so much needed in this world that we live in today. As a parent, it must have been a struggle for you to see your daughter struggle with her mental health growing up. How did you identify, you know, what she was going through or did she communicate that to you? Well, um, it's a complicated question. I mean, first, I'd love to say that, you know, I, I don't think our family experience is unique. And I, I want your listeners to know that, you know, that I, I always say that nobody is immune from a mental health challenge coming into their family. Your listeners are not alone. And certainly for anyone that's parenting a teenager with mental health challenges or who will be, um, it's important to recognize that these challenges, they arise very early in young people during an important and, and very sensitive and delicate time, uh, a transition period. It's one of those important transition periods that I talk about from childhood to adulthood, middle, you know, the early teens. And it's a time when they start really questioning themselves and, you know, do I fit in? How do I look? Um, you know, they want to be included in activities in school and out of school, online and offline. And, you know, and when they're not, it's really devastating and it's lonely. And this is what happened to my daughter. And, you know, people say their children are different. I like to say that she was unique, but those qualities weren't really weren't always appreciated by her peers. And that made her a target um, for this mean spiritedness. And over time resulted in her developing anxiety and depression in middle school. And, you know, because of this bullying, she would start to feel humiliated and isolated and excluded. And it really shattered her confidence in herself and her self-worth. And I would say the biggest thing she noticed is what she called an absence of kindness, you know, and an absence of people having a sense of understanding about her and and her situation. And I know that that kindness would have helped her and kindness would have helped me, you know, also as a parent. And mental health is a very nuanced thing to, to diagnose. And it wasn't easy as a parent uh, to figure that out. I, I know I struggled with understanding the difference between just normal kind of biological teenage development and the warning signs of a mental health challenge, which is what she was experiencing. But, you know, I grew up in a very different time. We didn't talk about mental health challenges. I grew up in a really small town in West Virginia. So I'm not sure I even was looking for something like that. I just chalked it up to kind of teenage development. And it really wasn't until you know, it just progressed, unfortunately, to some destructive behaviors and things that that forced my husband and I to really take note of of what was happening in her in her young life. And um, we struggled. You know, we eventually got help for her. It's not uncommon for a mental illness to go undiagnosed for ten years. And fortunately, it wasn't that long in her case. It probably was for the proper diagnosis. Um, but I would say it, it took a couple of years for us to to really figure it out. And we're a close family, too. You know, we communicate a lot. But even then, you know, she told me later there were a lot of things that she didn't share with me because she was either afraid or embarrassed, which, you know, made me sad um, as well. 
And I still look back and there's these like should have, would have, could have moments where I, I wish I had known more and I wish I had been a better listener and, you know, really validated her emotions. So it's it's a complicated thing. And, you know, I just encourage parents to plan for it, you know, and to get educated about it because a lot of the issues develop very early. Before this conversation, Micheline and I were speaking about how there's no handbook on how to help your child when they're struggling with their mental health. And it's not something that is taught in school and it's not something that is normalized yet. So it's so important and this foundation is incredible. But when you were just speaking, you mentioned that you wish people were kinder to you as a parent as well. What do you wish that would have looked like? I think it would have looked like um, there actually was in one instance, it's just more, more reaching out, I guess, between parents. You know, we talk about peer-to-peer support between young people, but I think it's equally important to have peer-to-peer support among parents um, to share the developmental situations that their children are going through, to maybe learn together, to bounce things off of one another. I I guess I would call it a support-type system, and um, maybe that was on me, you know, to reach out, but I I know it would have really been helpful to have, have had some resources available to me to have some parenting tips, if you will, and just so I could better support her. Yeah, that's really important. And I think you're not alone when you mention that you didn't know what to look for, didn't know, you know, if it's something that is normal or if it's a sign of like mental illness for parents out there that might be listening to this or even for non-parents who one day will be parents or children who can share this with their parents, what would you say, knowing what you know now, are some of the warning signs or some of the things to look out for? I so appreciate that question um, because I'm confident that being more prepared really would have have helped me. And also being more open-minded, I think it would have made a difference in the trajectory of what happened to her and in her, you know, us seeking help for her earlier. I'll share a couple of things from my own experience and then a couple of things from our research. Um, I think the first thing in terms of um, warning signs, there's a huge list of them, in fact, but it, it ranges from things like being more isolated. You know, and my daughter is obviously very social and very open. So being more isolated, um, maybe spending more time in their room, grade slipping, uh, they could be acting out in terms of outbursts or, you know, crying, uh, anger. These are really just a few, you know, and they they progress to, um, um, you know, harder things. You know, and I'm not saying this was the case, but it could involve, you know, uh, alcohol and drugs, you know, things like that and, and many other things. So uh, there's wonderful tips. We do have some of them at bornthiswayfoundation in our, our Get Help section, and there's many that are out there, many resources available um, to parents. But in terms of parents, um, I think one of the first things is to feel and be better prepared or educated to recognize those warning signs. The ones I mentioned, you know, between just biological teenage development and the true warning signs of mental health. We also know from our research that there's uh, two reasons that young people don't talk to their parents about their mental health struggles. The first is because their parents don't share their own struggles with them. 
So looking back, I feel like I wish I had shared more of mine. I did have them, in fact. But, you know, maybe because of how I grew up, I felt I was supposed to be strong and appear tough and having it all together for my children. But I think it's better if we share the, the challenges and the struggles that we went through as parents. And the second reason that young people don't share with their parents is they feel judged. And they feel that, you know, rather than us just listening and validating and saying, you know, hey, I heard you, that must be really challenging and I'm here for you. But instead, I I think we jump into, I call it protecting and fixing mode. It's just like those natural parental instincts. And we tend to judge. So, you know, uh, that's another reason I I think that, you know, our children don't talk to us. So I would certainly just advise to please, you know, try to get help earlier, feel better equipped, and be open and honest and try to model healthy conversations at home um, about mental health. The same as you do, you know, I say when you talk about the birds and the bees conversation with your children, you can also talk about mental health. Thinking of what you said about, you know, trying to be strong for the for the children. And I think that's something I used to be a preschool teacher a while back. I'm a therapist now. I work with parents sometimes. And sometimes parents don't want to show their kids when they're hurting because they're afraid that their kids are going to be too upset over it. And it's a, it is a fine line, but I think it, it can be really powerful to show your children that you struggle too and that you can get through it because then you're teaching them resilience and you're teaching them that it's you're not immune. And it's not shameful, right? It's not shameful to feel and I think when we don't talk about it as parents, then our kids might think that something's wrong with them because they are feeling a certain way. Yeah, it also invites the conversation in the future if it ever has to come. And we were reading an interview of yours this morning about how you wish you had more conversations at the dinner table and how bringing in mental health at the dinner table would have been helpful or just inviting that conversation to come. Is that something you would recommend for parents to casually bring it up? 100%. Um I call it kind of reimagining the family dinners. Uh, we were fortunate that we we did eat our meals together as a family, and Sunday was a very important day for, for us in the house. And my favorite day, I guess, because the kids were around the kitchen table, they were doing their homework, you know, their father and I were cooking, and we had many conversations, probably about everything except mental health. We know from our research, too, that that a family dinner is a great predictor of many things, including voting patterns uh, and also mental health. So I, I think it's it's a safe space. You know, you're in your home, you're in a safe, warm spot, and you're having a family meal to, together. So I think casually, yes, asking that question, you know, how they're doing in school, you know, how they're doing online and offline, what's happening in their lives um, is a great way to break the ice. Trigger warning for the next segment, self-harm. And you mentioned validation. And I think there's a fear of parents that if they validate, there's this message out there that if I validate, then am I feeding it? You know, am I feeding their mental health issues? But, you know, obviously that's not true. Validation will help people feel seen. Children feel seen. Humans feel seen. But how do you tackle that as a parent if you feel like, 
you know, you don't know what to do with that information. Maybe you you don't know, uh, what do you say if your child tells you or you find out your child is self-harming, for instance, or using coping skills that aren't necessarily so healthy for them or they're isolating themselves. How do you validate that while still thinking of that fear that parents might have, you know, feed it? it this is the question I often get, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Well, yeah, it, it's it's a really delicate balance, I think. One of the things my daughter says quite often is just because you can't see it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And, and that she's referring to mental health issues because, you know, they're in our brain and unlike a physical, the way a physical ailment presents itself, it's very different with mental health. And I think quite often there's a tendency, and, and we've heard these stories from you know years past, where doctors would say you know it, 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 that it's not real or that there's some other issue going on. So I think there's an innate fear among young people that they're not being believed, you know, but when they tell their parents something because we can't see it. And you know, to me, that's the challenge, uh, and that's what we mean by validation is that taking what they're they're saying literally and at face value that it's real and that we understand that it's scary and then that we're there for them. And I I think just by that alone is, you know, creating that safe environment, it it helps somebody feel more comfortable and less afraid um, about opening up. I don't know if that's fully addressing your question, but I think one of the the biggest challenges with validation is young people feeling that they're just not being believed. To kind of shift the conversation into parents, because I know when I was struggling with my mental health when I was a teenager, my mom and my dad were immediately like, this is our fault. We're to blame. We maybe missed the signs, whatever it was. Is there a way that parents can learn to not blame themselves for their child's mental health struggles? That is so hard uh, because, I, you know, looking back, I can't say I blame myself, but I just feel, I just wish that I was better equipped. So I think one of the biggest ways that parents can avoid falling into that trap or into that hole is to know more. You know, educate yourself about those warning signs about youth and mental health. Fifty uh, percent of mental health challenges present themselves by the age of fourteen. So it's something that we should be addressing and looking for and and understanding better when when our children are young. So I, I think that they say that knowledge is power, right? So I think maybe the, the best is just to simply educate yourself. Yeah, education is Myself good. included. All of us, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, once you, you, you realized the signs and you started working uh, with your daughter, did your relationship shift in terms of being able to, did you feel more validated? Were you able to uh, forgive yourself a little bit more and trust yourself a little bit more? How did that dynamic shift as a result of you opening up to to that conversation? Yeah, the, the dynamic between us and the relationship between us definitely shifted. Um, I learned a lot, actually, from both of my daughters. I have two wonderful daughters, Stephanie and Natalie. Um, they've both, you know, at various times had emotional things that they wanted to talk to me about. I can't say I always understood or heard, but I think there was maybe one moment that was a turning point. And this was a point where Stephanie, my older daughter, who people know as Gaga, um, was really struggling and was on tour. And 
we said, look, let, let's, let's just get out and take a walk. This was her father and I, and uh, get some fresh air, and we'll talk about it. And so we did. The three of us set out, and we took about a 30-minute walk. And he and I went into parent mode, fixing and protecting. And we talked to her for 30 minutes about all the things that she should be doing. And we came back and she said, you know, mom and dad, that was a lovely walk, but it's really not what I was looking for. You know, I just wanted you to hear me. And I just wanted you to validate my feelings and let me know that you're there for me. The light bulb really went off for me. And I think that was a turning point in our relationship where I was better able to accept what she was asking for and be more sensitive and aware to that. And and from that point, I mean, I'm still learning and uh, there's always dial, but but I, I feel now that I'm more able to accept uh, that type of a conversation than I was before. What's the difference between validating and that fixing? I think that's a line that a lot of parents really struggle with, trying to not freak out about what their child might be telling them and being able to, you know, h- how do they do that? How do they back up for a minute and say, hold on, this is what my child needs. They need to be heard. How, how do they do that? A part of it is just listening instead of offering you know, first. And I, you know, I go back to, we always, as parents, I think we think that we know best and because we've been through it ourselves, but this is a very, very different time. Uh, The stresses and struggles that our children face and young people face today are very different and much more complicated, I feel, uh, than when we were growing up. Certainly was for me, you know, when you layer in technology, all of the socioeconomic issues that are happening, a pandemic, uh, mental health issues, it's very, very challenging. So um, instead of offering our advice right away, is listening. And, and that helps get to validating. I think our children, they're actually telling us what we need, but we have to listen to be able to hear that and understand it and, you know, allow them to guide us a little bit as well. Yeah, that is like one of my favorite pieces of advice just to anyone in general. Instead of waiting for your turn to speak, just listen and ask yourself what that other person needs in the moment. It sounds easy, but listening is very hard because we're I think we're always wanting to feel like we're helping. So it's it's a natural instinct to offer. A lot of it is a lot of it is listening and that's something I'm I'm still learning. I'm I think I'm getting a little bit better at it, but I still have my moments. Yeah, you're human, us too, even as therapists. We're still learning how to just be present and listen to our clients or to anyone mm-hmm. in general overall. Is there anything you want the public to know about youth mental health? There, there is. There's, I think there's a few things I'd love to, to share. I'd love the public to know. I think most importantly, I want the public to know that mental health issues develop in the early years. As I mentioned earlier, 50% of the mental health issues arise by the age of 14. 75% of the issues arise uh, arise by the early 20s. So I feel because it can happen when a child is so young, you know, I mean, it can happen as early as three years old. It's up to us as parents to be better prepared, I feel, than we are now and to help, help them and to better understand those warning signs. So I think the first... It's just that those the mental health issues develop very early. I think, secondly, I'd love the public to, to know that 
from our research, we're very much a research-based organization. We know that a high majority of young people, nine out of 10 from those that we surveyed, they prioritize their mental health over their physical health. Yet they rarely talk about it because of the stigma and lack of resources, and they don't know where to go for help. So there's some good news in there and that young people, they really do care a great deal about their mental health. And it's a matter, it's up to all of us, I think, to help with pointing them to resources and modeling healthy uh, conversations. And then thirdly, I'd love the public to know that there is an inextricable link between kindness and mental health. We know that young people who describe being in kind environments, whether that's home, school, or work, they scored higher on their mental health indicator scores. And so in schools, for example, one of the things we learned is, is something as simple as a teacher saying hello to a student, and in particular saying hello by name, made a huge difference in their day, and it it improves their mental health. In the workplaces, uh, bosses checking in on their employees, um, having mentorship programs, having affinity-based programs um, change the equation in the mental health space. It goes to the bottom line. And, you know, these are things, saying hello and checking in on people, these are not heavy lifts. They're not costly to implement. There's simple adjustments that we can make that can really make a difference. And so whether it's schools, workplaces, or the home, um, you know, the, the biggest thing we learned is people that listen to young people and believe in them and check in on them makes a big difference. If you could make one change in the mental health community, what would it be? There are so many things that I would like to change, but I think one of the most important things I think that we could do that would impact everyone. Um, I I talk about, and in my work with the World Health Organization, we say there is no health without mental health. So starting as early as possible, it would be important to me to treat the whole person. So when you go to your doctor, when you have a physical exam for school, you know, let's also talk about one's mental health. I think to me that would be one of the most powerful and important things that we could do for everybody right away. Of course, I understand the challenges that are associated with that, but if if we all had a magic wand, you know, that would be it. But I think we could at least start with some mental health screenings, uh, you know, when kids go back to school. Health screenings are very important at the doctor's offices, with teachers, knowing the signs like you talked about earlier, you know, so many different things that would be so helpful for this. Any last words or advice or a message that you want the world to hear about? Maybe I'll leave you with uh, a thought about kindness and, you know, because we know that it can affect your mental health. And I think it's very underrated. And I'd like to leave you with something that my daughter says. She said that kindness is a currency that we all have, and we can all spend it. And the act itself is free, but it's priceless. So I would just like to leave your listeners with that um, because it goes a long way toward uh, helping your mental health. Very powerful statement. Love it. Thank you so much. We're always, you know, getting questions like, how do I not mess up my child because I'm struggling with my own mental health? So how can I be there for someone else when... 
I feel like I'm dealing with depression and anxiety and whatever else. So I'm not sure if you have any words of advice or any tips for that. Yeah, I, I think for parents, it's, you know, we talk about filling your own cup before you can fill somebody else's, you know, and to me that that's caring for yourself, whether that be self-care or as parents getting help. I know that I wasn't for a long time. Um, I do now. I mean, I, I go to therapy. So I, I think we have to be that model, be that role model and take care of ourselves before we can take care of our children um, I guess the other analogy on the airplane is to put your mask on first before you you put your children's on. So, and there's a lot that we can do, I think, as parents um, for self care at home, even to take care of ourselves. And there's a lot of uh, whether it be literature, there's a lot of different apps that are out there now. Uh, if people are challenged, you know, financially to get a one on one help, there's a lot of different forms of mental health care that are now available and uh, treatments are expanding. We're seeing a lot more telehealth services that are available that are covered, you know, by insurance. So there are some options now, but I think the biggest message then is parents, we have to take care of ourselves first. Absolutely. And I love how everything centers around kindness, being kind to others, being kind to yourself. When you're struggling with mental health, a small act of kindness goes such a long way. Yeah. Things that you wouldn't think are a big deal, like you were mentioning earlier, like saying, asking someone how they're doing, um, you know, posting an inspiration, if, if that's all you have, like posting an inspirational quote on social media or something like yeah. that. Very simple to, to know. So people know they're not alone. Very, very important. Um, you talked about, you know, the foundation, the Born This Way Foundation and everything. Is there any way that people can get involved? Let's say they're listening to this podcast and they want to help out with the Born This Way Foundation or any other resource. How could they do that? It was so wonderful meeting the woman behind Born This Way Foundation. In this episode, Cynthia opened up about what it was like raising Lady Gaga and how she was bullied for being different. After her daughter's success, she and Gaga decided to open the Born This Way Foundation, which is committed to supporting the wellness of young people and empowering them to create a kinder and braver world. And they're huge fans of therapy. If you find yourself needing to talk to somebody, BetterHelp Online Therapy will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. It's way more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. And it makes getting therapy easier. Just schedule your message, phone, or video session and complete it from your phone in your car, in your home, or wherever you are. We were amazed by Cynthia's passion for helping parents learn how to help their struggling children while bettering their own mental health. Thank you, Cynthia. We're so proud of what you do to make the world a better place and for your focus on mental health in teens. There's a special offer for Getting Better listeners. Get 10% off your first month of online therapy at BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash getting better. Yeah, so, um, well, if, if you go to bornthisway.foundation, um, you'll get, you know, more details, obviously, on our programs and ways to get involved and also resources if, you, if you're if you in need of resources. But our work falls into a couple of, of areas. Uh, 
The first is around kindness. Uh, we actually have a, a campaign that's uh, launching this year called hashtag Be Kind 21. And anyone can become part of that. And that's very supportive of our work because it's spreading kindness. And the idea behind Be Kind 21, science tells us that if you do something for 21 days, it can become a habit. So we encourage and challenge people to practice acts of kindness for 21 days in a row. Uh, we offer calendars and tools and recommendations on things to do during those 21 days, but you can also personalize it. Trigger warning for the next segment, self-harm. Uh, we have had, this is our fourth year that we'll be launching the campaign. We've had millions upon millions of acts of kindness that have been performed. Everything from very simple things to surprisingly, we had one young woman who chose to not harm herself for 21 days. Um, and that was, you know, very heartfelt. And um, we were really, really so proud of her. And we keep in touch with her. And it's just a beautiful story. So hashtag be kind 21 is a, is a way that everybody can get involved in the kindness space. Uh, and in the education space, if you go to be there.org, and take the training. Um, it's it's life-saving and life-changing. Uh, that's a way to get involved. And then there's just many other recommendations about ways that you can get in, involved. Of course, you can donate um, to the foundation as well. Trigger warning for the next segment, suicide. All such great resources and definitely to, I'm going to be checking them out for yeah. sure after this. I do want to add, you know, some parents might feel really overwhelmed or scared if their child comes to them with this like, coping skill that's not so healthy, like harming. And they might, what I've heard from young ones, children, teenagers, even young adults, is that their parents then become overbearing and are not trusting of them anymore. And so, yeah, I think it might be easier to deal with it when the when the child comes to you and they're, you know, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling depressed, I'm feeling sad. But how do we handle this when it's something that is so scary, like harming, self-harm, or, you know, even telling you they're having thoughts of suicide, um, to not be overbearing um, and not be scared and resources for them and how to actually be able to be there for your child in that situation. Because I think that line, when that line is crossed, it can be really scary. It is scary, and um, it's scary for the young person going through it, and it's scary for the parent because, you know, you want to do the right thing, but you're not sure what the right thing is. But the instances that you mentioned, um, especially uh, self-harming and suicidal ideation, they are instances that require, uh, you know, help. I mean, I know that, you know, I'm not clinically certified, uh, to help in a situation like that, but I can get help, you know, for my child. So I think it, at that point, it, you know, our emotions tend to get in the way, and it's a matter of how we approach how we approach our child to talk about it. With suicide, um, we know that it's okay to ask the question, you know, are you thinking of harming yourself? Uh, because we we have found that. Uh, in, in most cases, young people do have a plan, and they'll tell you that they have a plan. So um, 
you know, I, th- I think educating more also about what happens in those cases is is very, very helpful. Yeah, you made a really important point, and I want to expand on that just for our listeners. It's actually not proven that asking somebody if they have a suicidal plan or ideations is actually going to trigger them to do it. It's actually the opposite. So if you are thinking your child, your friend, your loved one is thinking about that, asking them is not harmful. In fact, it's helpful. It's very helpful because we also know that one of the greatest predictors of suicide is a previous attempt or previous ideation. So it's important for us to know that uh, and to talk about it. So asking is absolutely the right thing to do. Yeah, asking. And and that that can sometimes be the answer because it lifts that weight off. Like, I know, okay, someone knows now. And sometimes just saying that out loud helps remove that burden. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, again, thank you so much. This was so insightful, so helpful, so many resources. Uh, so wonderful. I think this episode is really going to help not only parents, but I think even you know children and teenagers or future parents to to be able to know exactly what to do um, with mental health because we all have mental health. We do, and thank you so much. I mean, we're all in this together, so whatever we can share, you know, to help each other is is really important and. Um, podcasts like this are a great way to do it. So thank you for all the wonderful work and for uh, inviting Born This Way Foundation today. And we're, we're happy to be here with you. I cannot believe we just spoke to Lady Gaga's mom. I cannot believe how much I love her. I love her so much. She is so sweet and educated and empathetic and just everything. If you know me, you know I'm like obsessed with Lady Gaga. So this was very surreal. And she told us we were good at what we do. So we're just uh, having a little bit of a breakdown over here. We're just feeling a little bit starstruck right now. But what a wonderful conversation. An important conversation that I am so excited to share with not only teenagers, but also parents. I'm thinking of like all my cousins and aunts and even friends that are parents or know people who are parents that I want to get this message out to because it's so incredibly important. Mm-hmm. It's like so resource heavy, this this episode. And research-based. She throws in statistics and really backs up what she's saying by evidence, which we both love. Oh, yeah. Oh, for <laughs> sure. It's like backed up. She talks about the research they do. They do from the Born This Way Foundation. She talks so honestly and openly about the struggles that she faced as a parent raising, you know, daughters who may be struggling with mental health issues and like what she wished she had done more or what she wished she knew. Right. Well, even when she mentioned that she wishes there was a support system, like a support group for parents, and that's something I've never actually heard. That is an incredible idea. Yeah, yeah. You'll you'll hear why she thinks that that's a good idea, but I'm absolutely an advocate for that. Such an advocate for everything she said. And again, like the resource heavy um, information that she has. So like, you're going to, you're going to listen to this episode and you're going to know exactly where to go to get what help, (laughs) what campaigns to join. You're going to hear, you know, a, a side of, you know, this, of these things, of these mental health conversations that aren't often talked about. So I think it's such a refreshing episode and um, we hope you enjoy it. 
Thank you so much for listening today. This discussion is so important to ending the mental health stigma. If you want to help the mental health movement, you can do so by leaving a written review for this podcast to help it reach more people. If you want to dive deeper into these topics and learn more about mental health, make sure you subscribe and follow Micheline and Nadia's mental health podcast, Mind-Fully Healing, anywhere you stream your podcasts.